Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. All right, we, we started this series a number of, of weeks ago, and we've been using Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, sort of as like a home base or a launching pad for this series. And it says, if you fall in the day of adversity, or if you fail, when trouble comes, when obstacles come, and times of difficulty, when those things come into your life, and it comes into all of our lives, but if it takes you out, it causes you to stumble, you fail, you fall, it reveals something about you says if you fall in the day of adversity your strength is small it reveals that you you don't have enough strength so it's not just that the difficulty was too great the obstacle was too big the temptation was too strong if it caused you to fall really what's going on is you're not strong enough and you need to develop your strength you know the, the bible tells us to follow jesus that's the most important decision anyone could ever make to accept jesus as their savior so we're supposed to be christians but that's not the only stru- instruction we're given right we're also told to be strong to build ourselves up ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to be strong in the lord so when you accept jesus that's wonderful but there are things that you need to be doing to build yourself up so you can become a strong strong man of God, a strong woman of God. And so we've covered a lot of ground in this series. So let me review just a little bit some of the things that we've talked about. We've talked about the importance of the word of God in your life. You need to have a deep encounter, a deep encounter. We looked at Mark chapter four, the parable of the sowers, not just to have a casual encounter with the word of God, to hide it in your heart, a deep encounter with the word of God. We talked about the importance of prayer and different ways that that our prayer life helps us to grow stronger. Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray. Why, Jesus? Why should we be praying? So that you wouldn't fall into temptation. So if you see yourself falling in the same area over and over, you just don't have the strength necessary, one of the things that might be lacking, causing you to be weak, is that your prayer life isn't where it should be. Jesus said if you'll spend more time praying, it'll help guard you, it'll strengthen you. We talked about a number of different ways that prayer strengthens us. We talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and keeping ourselves full, using your prayer language on a a daily basis. Lean into it. Keep yourself full of the Spirit. We talked about the strength that comes from that. We talked about how the joy of the Lord is your strength, how important it is for us as Christians to be happy, to be joyful. There's a danger in separating the joy of the Lord and actual happiness. We spiritualize it. We separate, you know, the joy of the Lord, it's a spiritual joy, so it doesn't really mean happiness. That's a dangerous thing to do because in no other category of joy do you separate it from being actual joy. Well, it's spiritual joy, but it's not, it's not real joy. It's spiritual joy. We talked about, you know, financial joy. If you found out that you won a million dollars, you wouldn't be straight-faced. Well, I've, I've got financial joy, but it's not like real joy. No, that, that financial joy would manifest. You would feel real, real joy. If you had relational joy, it would, it would manifest in real joy. We shouldn't cause spiritual joy just to be something that's in a category that it's not real joy. No, you need to be happy and excited about, about serving Jesus. You know, depression is a spirit. When someone has a spirit of depression, when they, when they are depressed, 
Does that manifest? People aren't chipper. Yeah, well, I've got a spirit of depression, but thank God it's just like a spiritual, a spiritual sorrow that I, that I have. No, if, if a spiritual depression, a spiritual sorrow, you see that manifest in someone's life, how much more so should you actually see the joy of the Lord in people's lives? We should be the happiest people on the face of the planet. Don't allow a religious attitude to cause you to segregate religious, spiritual joy into something that you're not actually able to enjoy and cause it to put a smile on your face. We should be happy. It's good to serve the Lord. Amen. We talked about pruning things out of our lives. John chapter 15. There's, there's sin that we need to get rid of our lives, out of our, out of our lives. We need to walk in holiness, but there's also things that you might be able to justify. You could make a good argument for it, but it's not really profitable. It's not fruitful. It's going to keep you from reaching your full potential. So we need to get rid of sin. There's also other things that need to be pruned so that we can go on to greater fruitfulness. If you were here with us last week, we talked about the importance of the people that you surround yourself with. Your relationships are critically important. We said last week, if, once you really understand what God's word says about relationships, and it has an enormous amount to say about our relationships, it should become one of the most strategic areas in our lives. But too often, it's just sort of left to chance. We're just friends with whoever we're friends with. Ah, I just spent a lot of time around that guy. He likes sports. I like sports, so we spend a lot of time around each other. I've known her since high school, so you know we work together, so that's who I... We should be strategic and not have just a whatever-will-be-will-be will be attitude when it comes to our relationships. That's the way Jesus operated. Before Jesus selected his 12 disciples, he didn't just say, well, you, you guys laugh at my jokes, and I like spending time around you. You make me feel good about myself. He spent all night in prayer. Father, I've got to hear from you. It's so important who, who my close circle of friends is and who I spend my time with. Father, I can't just make this decision willy-nilly. I've got to hear your voice on this. If Jesus did that, how much more so do you and I need to think through, pray about the people that we surround our, ourselves with? We looked at different scriptures, and there's so many of them. The Bible says, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals or good character. If you've got good character, praise God, that's wonderful. You've got good morals, that, that's amazing. But don't be deceived, don't be fooled. Don't think that you're okay just because you are, you're a man of God, you're a woman of God. You can corrupt that, you can spoil that, you can ruin that by spending time around the wrong people. Obviously, we want to minister and reach out to people and be witnesses. We're talking about inner circles, close friends, making sure that those people are people that are made of the same material. We looked at iron sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It doesn't say as iron sharpens paper or as iron sharpens rubber. As iron sharpens iron, people that are of the same material, their lives are headed the same direction. I'm trying to be intentional at this point in my life, the people that I spend the most time with, the people that are closest to me, I want them to have the same kind of goals. It doesn't mean they have to be pastors businessmen, professionals, that they've got the same goals. They want to see the kingdom of God advance. They want, to, they want to be godly men, godly dads, godly husbands. They want to see people come to know Jesus. Those are people that I can get with, and I know, man, we're headed the same direction. When I link up with you, man, we're just going to sharpen each other and strengthen one another. You've got to be intentional. Bad company will corrupt whatever God has done in your life. Thank God for it. You can ruin it by surrounding yourself by, by bad people. But it works the other way as well. He who walks with the wise shall himself become wise. So, so we talked about the importance of our relationships and being intentional, intentional with them. 
That's why it's so important for you to be a part of a, a connect group, a family within the family. So important for you to spend time serving on a team in our church. You can be with people that are like-minded, build relationships. You've got to be willing to invest in those. Amen? Amen? Well, we're going to talk about one last thing in this series, and this certainly isn't a conclusive list, but we're talking about things that if you'll take seriously, if you'll do these things we've been talking about, you will, you'll grow stronger. You just will. So we'll talk about one more as we conclude this series today. Before we jump in, would you pray with me one more time? Father, I love you. I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray you bless each one of us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Father, I ask for a spirit of revelation and understanding so we could know you more. Flood our hearts with light. Drive darkness out of our minds, out of our hearts. We love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago or so, our church, every Easter, would do an Easter play. We did that for, I think, three years in a row. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was cast as Jesus. I didn't want to be in the play I'm not an actor. I was sort of had to be in the play. I got to wear a beard, which was exciting. It's the only time in my life I've been able to have a beard, so that was kind of a perk. But other than that, if I'm being honest, I, I didn't really want to be a part of it. Just very uncomfortable for me to be in a play and doing that sort of thing. Fortunately, in this particular Easter play, Jesus was sort of a background character. It really centered on a Roman soldier and how he came to faith in Jesus. And that was kind of the, the central part of the storyline. And so Jesus was just kind of would come in and out of scenes. And so that wasn't too bad just to walk through in the background and be patting children on heads, nodding piously at people in the crowd, every once in a while stroking my beard just because it's there. But what made me super uncomfortable was the scene where Jesus clears the temple. So it was one thing to, you know, quote a few beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. As I walked through the crowd, that, that, was, that was okay. But when it was time for me to clear the temple, I was so uncomfortable with that. Even in rehearsal, I can still remember we got to the scene, it's right there in the script, and I, I've got to start tipping stuff over, and I'm just not like a real uh, boisterous, angry kind of guy. I was never the kind of guy that like, gets mad and starts punching holes in drywall. That's just not the way that I'm wired. So it was so uncomfortable to, you know, Tip furniture over. Go on, guys, get out of here. Just to try to capture the, the kind of anger that was necessary to try to portray what Jesus was like. So it, it took some boldness. It took some, some strength of personality. Now, this is in a, in a play when it's in the script, right? When people know that it's coming, okay, it's the clear the temple scene. They know what's happening. It was still felt like I had to muster up some, some strength to be able to do that in that setting, let alone when Jesus actually cleared a temple. The level of strength required, and I'm not talking about just physical strength. Of course, that, that, that's required. He's chasing people out with a whip. But I'm talking uh, authority, passion, a boldness. There, there had to be an intensity. Imagine going to Kroger after service and what it would take to clear that place out so you had it to yourself. What would it, it would take some strength of personality, some strength of authority, yelling at people, chasing workers down the aisles, tipping over, tipping over shelves. Now you've been in stores before, you've been in a market situation 
where there was people there that you didn't want there, right? Uh, no, of course not, you're, you're too old. <laughs> the, the line is too long and you might think, man, I just wish all these people would get out of here. Or maybe you see somebody that annoys you, somebody that's just uh, upsetting, somebody that you don't like. You, you have felt, I wish these people were out of here. But you didn't have the strength, you didn't have the, the intensity, you didn't have the passion to actually do anything about it. You might have like rolled your eyes when you saw them, but you didn't form a whip and chase them out of the store, right? That, that's another level of intensity and passion and strength that Jesus has. So Jesus in John chapter 2 clears the temple, and then let me read, it, read from John chapter 2 verse 17. It says, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So Jesus is clearing out the temple. I'm sure his disciples were just kind of like wide-eyed watching what in the world is going on. And as they're watching this display of passion, watching this display of zeal, the Holy Spirit quickened. It just came up in their mind. We're witnessing zeal. Remember that passage, that prophecy from Psalm 69? Zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus had zeal. He had passion. There was an intensity. There was a, a hunger operating on the inside of them. And when you've got that kind of passion, when you've got that kind of fight on the inside, passion awakens or produces strength in your life. Passion creates strength. You will do things when you're passionate. Without that passion, you'd never do it. Last weekend at this time, there was a man from our church, Jamie Travelstead, that was running a race. In that race, he ran 162 and a half miles. You don't have to clap for him. You just sit there shocked like I am. Don't feed his ego. I'm just trying to use this as an illustration. There's other people in our church that have got the genetics. If they really wanted to do that, they could train and do that. But he has a passion for running and for endurance and for pushing himself. That, that passion is what caused him to actually do it. It's not that other people couldn't do it. You just don't have the passion. Passion, cre passion motivates. Passion activates. When you are zealous for something, it causes you to, to act. You've seen movies before where somebody, somebody's spouse or child or a loved one is harmed in some way, they're killed or something bad happens to them, and it stirs up a passion in that person. The rest of the movie is just them getting revenge, or they turn into you know, a superhero and spend the rest of their lives fi fighting injustice because that what happened stirred up a passion. It created a zeal in them that manifests with a strength to take action. When we are passionate, it causes us to be strong. In fact, it doesn't matter how strong you are, how equipped you are, if you're not passionate. If you're apathetic, it really doesn't matter how strong you are. You can equip somebody, you can strengthen them, but if they don't really care, it, that, that strength just lies dormant in them. The body of Christ is strong. Jesus has equipped, he has strengthened the body of Christ. The problem most often is that we are cold. We're, we're not zealous, we're not passionate. And so it looks like we're weak. We're not really weak, we're just apathetic. Zeal for your house has consumed me. We're supposed to be like Jesus, amen? 
We are supposed to be zealous. We're supposed to be passionate. Zeal consumed him, ate him up. That means you and I should be consumed with zeal for the things of God. We shouldn't be able to shrug it off lightly or have it be a side issue in our lives. It consumes us. We're supposed to be like Jesus. And if you don't buy that from this passage, there's other passages that tell us directly, like Romans chapter 12, verse 11, to never be lacking in zeal. That's an instruction. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your fire. Keep spiritual fire serving, serving the Lord. We're not supposed to lack in zeal. It says that zeal consumed Jesus swallowed him up. The new King James that I read to you says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. What happens when something is consumed? What happens when it is eaten up? Well, this morning for an illustration, I brought on stage with me, I brought a cup of coffee and I brought a a little breakfast bar to illustrate. But I've consumed the coffee and I've consumed the little breakfast bar. So you know what? You don't see it. It's up here with me, but you don't see it. What you see is what consumed it. You don't see it so much as you see what consumed, right? So if we're supposed to be consumed with passion, it means that you you should be able to look at someone's life and you can see, you can see the passion in their life because it's consumed them. It's eaten them up. It's not enough for us to have, uh, I'm passionate in the lyrics of a song that we sing. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty passionate follower of Jesus. We shouldn't have to tell people. They should be able to see it in our lives. There should be a manifestation of certain things. You can look at someone's life and see that that is a passionate man. That's a, that is a zealous woman of God. I can see it because it, it's consumed her. Let, let me talk about a couple of things you should see in someone's life. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, start reading in verse one. It says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with the marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. He says, Oh God, you are my God. When he, he starts writing this psalm or singing this song to the Lord, he doesn't just say, oh God, you are a God. There, he's possessive. God, you're not just the God, you're mine. When someone starts using mine kind of language, there's passion there. Even like a, a child with a toy, even when it's inappropriate passion, when people start saying that that's mine. Even if it's, it's not good, you can tell they're at least passionate about something. When he's talking about God, he's not just, yes, God, you are God. No, you, that's my God you're talking about. I'm talking to my God. There's passion and there's zeal involved. And he says, I'm, I'm thirsty for you. I long for you. He talks about how beautiful God is because your loving kindness is better than life. What, what does all of this passion cause him to do? God, you're so wonderful. I'm thirsty for you. I desire you. There's nothing that can compare to you causes him to seek. I'm going to seek you. When you're passionate about something, you'll pursue it. You pursue what you're passionate about. If you ask guys that are hunters, 
when their favorite time to be in the woods is, especially if they're, they're deer hunters, they will probably tell you early November. Because in early November, what's going on? The rut. The rut means it's a special magical time of the year where boy deer become very interested in girl deer. They become passionate about reproducing. So men like to be in the woods during that period of time, not because they care about a deer's love life and not because they're perverts and they're hoping to see something go, go down in the, in the woods, but they know, <laughs> because they, they, they know that when a deer becomes passionate, something else is gonna happen, that they're also going to begin to pursue. Because where there's passion, you begin to pursue what you are passionate about, right? So you go in the, in the woods during that time of year, and it's not rare to see a, a buck just running with his head down, sniffing the air. He is in pursuit of what he is passionate about. That, that's one of the ways you can tell if you are passionate, you pursue what you are passionate about. And it says, early in the morning, early will I seek you. It means right off the bat, first thing, it gets priority. I'm not giving God the scraps of my day. God, you are a priority. It means it can also be translated earnestly or diligently. I'm going to passionately pursue God. What you are passionate about, you pursue. And you don't have to coax somebody to pursue what they're passionate about. If, if a guy likes sports, he's into to following his favorite sports team. When he opens his computer or gets online or he's on his phone, you don't have to try to convince him to go to ESPN.com or whatever website he gets his sports information from because he's going to be in pursuit of that because he's passionate about it. You've got ladies that love to decorate and find different crafts and make their living rooms and houses look nice. You don't have to try to coax them to get on Pinterest or wherever they, they find that kind of stuff. Because there is a passion in them about it, they're just naturally in pursuit of it. That's the way that it works. So what does your pursuit of God look like? Do you pursue him? Because if not, you might not be passionate about God. If you've got to be coaxed You've got to be urged to, to pursue God. That reveals you're not really passionate about God. And we can deal with that this morning. We're gonna take time to pray. We'll talk about some ways to, to guard that passion in our hearts. So I'm not saying that in a condemning way. It should be revelatory, reveal. Oh my goodness, I thought I was passionate. I, I don't pursue God at all. Or someone's gotta coax me along. If it's not for Pastor Jonathan leading me every, now lift your hands this side, now lift your, then, then I wouldn't pursue God. Someone's gotta coax me. That, that, that reveals maybe you don't have passion for God. You pursue what you're passionate about. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. I will seek you. This is important. If you're, you're a part of our church and you've been around for any length of time, you know that we don't apologize for the benefits of serving God. God blesses us and it's wonderful and we enjoy those benefits. We, we don't back down from that at all. We, we love the benefits of serving God. Psalm 103 tells us not to forget those. But it is critically important that it's him we're pursuing and not the benefits that he provides. It is, it is incredibly important. I've got four daughters. Right now, they're, they're all young enough. They live in our house. I provide for them. I provide their food. I provide their shelter. But if that's all that they love me for, they just love the fact that I provide, there's blessings that come along with that, there's gonna come a point in time where they don't need me to do that anymore. And if they just loved me for what I provide for them, then our relationship will be done the moment they don't need those things anymore. You see that happen 
in people's lives all the time. At least I see that happen far too often. That people will become passionate, and it seems like they're passionate about God, but they're really just passionate about their prayer requests. I've talked to people on the phone that have called crying, my family's falling apart, I'm losing my wife, I'm losing my husband, I'm losing my kids, can you, can you help us? And, and we're able to, to minister to them. We've seen families restored, marriages come back together, but once they're thriving, they, they lose that passion. We've seen God heal marriages, bring families back together, just to see them fall apart all over again. Because they were passionate for a while, but it turns out they were just passionate about what they hoped God would do for them. And once God answered that prayer request, they were really done with him and ready to go back to life as normal and things fell apart all over again. We're early will I seek, not the things that you do for me. We've gotta be passionate, not just about the benefits of God, passionate about God. God, I love you. If you take everything else away, God, I'm still just as much in love with you. Father, if you never do another thing for me in my entire life, that's not gonna change the amount. I praise you, I adore you, there's nobody like you. You are worthy of my praise, and God, I love you. That's what we're talking about being zealous of. Early will I seek you. If you're passionate, should be able to see that someone is pursuing God. Another thing you see is that people make time for what they're passionate about. If you're passionate about something, you make time for it. There, there's a gentleman in our church who, who loves to swim. He's got a, a small lake right outside his front door. He'll tell you how many miles he swam. He swims in the early spring. He, he swims basically up until the, the lake freezes over. He can tell you the temperature of the water. He loves, he loves to swim. When it's too cold to swim, he's got some kind of pool in his house that creates a current that he can swim even when the lake is frozen over. He would die if he got in that water. He, he has made it a priority to swim. Guess how much time I devote to swimming? None. I, I've got no swimming schedules. I, I can't remember the last time I swam. When I do get into a pool, I basically just like walk around. I don't, I, just, I walk in water. I don't really swim. I don't put a swim cap on and start working on my strokes. It's not, it's not that I dislike swimming. I'm okay with swimming. I like it just fine. But I'm not passionate about it enough to the point where I'm gonna create time to do it in my, in my life. There are people that will say they like things. Yeah, I, I think reading your Bible's good. I, I think going to church is great. Talk about the things of God and that they're, they're fond of them. We're talking about being passionate and zealous because when you're passionate about things, you make time for them. When you're fond of things, they can come and go and you, you don't really care. So people say, no, I, I, I would like to go to church more. I just don't have time. I, I, I know I should read my Bible more. I just don't have time. I would like to be in a, in a small group. I'd like to build relationships and, you know, do that stuff you're talking about. I just don't have the time to do that kind of stuff. You know, I'd like to pray more like you pray. I'd like to spend time in God's word like you do. I'd like to do that. I just don't have the time. No, you're just not as passionate about those things as you are about the things that you actually are spending your time on. Amen. You're more passionate about your kid's soccer league. You're more passionate about the extra hours at work. You're more passionate about your, your boat on the lake. You're more passionate about getting away camping. You, you just have, you're more passionate about those things. And so they get your time and you don't have any left over and you think it's just a matter of time. No, it's a matter of passion. You give time to those things that you're passionate about. You'll create time. You'll find some way. If you're passionate enough about it, you will find time. If you're not giving any time to the things of God, you're lacking in zeal. You're not zealous about the things, about the things of God. People are passionate about all kinds of things. 
You look around in the world. People have all kinds of zeal and passion. People have, they're passionate about gay pride. People are passionate about adopt a pet. People are passionate about save the walruses or whatever other cause they, they get people worked up over. People have passion for all kinds of things. How is it that the body of Christ is one of the most apathetic, uninterested, aloof group of people on the face of the planet? It shouldn't be that way. People shouldn't be more passionate about saving owls than the body of Christ is about saving souls. We should be passionate, zealous people. Listen, listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. You, you know this passage. Jesus has asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's the number one thing? What's the most important thing? If someone wants to follow you, what's number one? Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You, you know that passage. What percentage of the body of Christ do you think loves God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. He has their everything. God, you have 100%. I'm afraid it would be a low percentage. How is it that in the church, most people are violating what Jesus said is the number one commandment? That Jesus, that the things of God are, are in the mix somewhere. I'm interested in them, but I mean, what, what do you want me to do? I, I like it just fine. I've got to love God with all, not most of my heart, not a percentage of my heart, to love the Lord your God with all of my heart all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. That's, that's number one. So we, we focus on some other things. It's great that you don't cheat on your spouse and that you tithe, but if you don't love God with all of your heart, you're missing the first and greatest commandment. When you talk about loving something with all of your heart, with all that I am, I love it. You're talking zeal. You're talking passion. Amen. And when we talk passion, it, it's displayed. Even that passage we read from Psalm 63, you're gonna hear it from my lips. You're gonna see it in my life. You're gonna see it in the way that I use my time. You're gonna see it in the way I lift my hands and what comes out of my mouth. It's, it's not, we can't just say that we're zealous and there's no display of it. During worship, you're just slumped over like you've got mononucleosis. You, you should see some kind of uh, expression of that passion, amen? To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Too many in the body of Christ aren't following instruction number one. In Jeremiah, it says, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You'll seek me and find me under these conditions. When you search with all of your heart. Well, that's what Jesus was saying. So it might be fair to deduce from that, that if I seek him with less than all my heart, I'm going to struggle to find him. I'll have a hard time finding God if I'm going into it half-hearted, motivated by other things. You'll seek me. You'll find me. Search for me with all. I want all of your heart. God is a jealous God. He wants all of your heart. This isn't a new problem in the church today. Let me read you from Revelation chapter three. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter three. The New Testament is filled with warnings, instructions, the body of Christ, the danger of falling asleep, growing cold, becoming disinterested, losing momentum. It's always been a problem, something that we've got to be aware of and counteract. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. 
It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you are lukewarm, these people think that they're fine. If we go on to read, it says that you think other things are going well. You think you are, you think you are okay. But because they are lukewarm, they're not on fire. They're not fervent. They're not passionate. Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's, that's graphic. When you say, I'm going to vomit something, that, that's not an expression. That's not like a frown. It's not like a smile. That's, that's a reaction to something that makes you sick. If I was up here vomiting, you wouldn't say, I wonder what he's trying to tell us. You, you would say, there's something wrong with him. He's, he's got a bog, he ate something bad, he is sick. When you start talking about vomiting, that's the kind of a reaction. So when Jesus says, think about it. For people that have heard the gospel, they know there's a God that loves them enough to send his own son to die, that they were on their way to hell. They were in the kingdom of darkness, Colossians chapter one says, in the kingdom of darkness, but God transferred them out of the kingdom of darkness and put them into the kingdom of his own dear son who he loves, that that price was paid by the blood of Jesus, that he's made us new. He's made us new creatures in Christ Jesus on our way to heaven. And it wasn't because anything we did, 100% the grace of God, that he rescued us from an eternity in hell in a lake of fire that we deserved, but he paid for us. For people to have that experience to have that revelation and then just be like, eh, yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, the Jesus' response is it makes them sick. It makes them sick. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. To see that kind of response to the goodness and the grace of God, to him it's vile. I, I, I vomit them out of my mouth. Is it important for us to be excited about God? And I'm not trying to cause anyone to doubt their salvation. But we've got to consider how important it is to keep ourselves passionate about the things of God. When, when he says, I'm going to vomit people out, that, it's certainly not a compliment. It's a warning. Back to what it says in Jeremiah 29. You'll search, me and find, you'll search for me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Which means if you're not going wholehearted, you're not going to find him. It's important for us to be zealous, passionate about the things of God. He goes on to say, therefore... Be zealous and repent. Jump down to verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Jesus isn't being condemning. He's not, he's not angry. He's bringing correction. He says, those that I chasten, those that I rebuke, what's it mean? I love you. People can grow lukewarm in their love for Jesus. Jesus doesn't grow lukewarm in his love for you. People can stop pursuing him. He doesn't stop pursuing you. Let me read the next verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus loves you. Jesus is passionate about you. So it's not that he gets upset with us and disappointed. You've let yourself grow lukewarm. He is passionate about you. He is still pursuing you. He's trying to bring correction because it's important. Those, those that I rebuke, those that I chasten, it's because, because I love them. Therefore, verse 19 again, therefore be zealous 
and repent. Be zealous. You know, that when, when Jesus gives a command like that, it's not just instruction. Jesus said, my words are spirit and my words are life. So when he speaks, it's not just information or instruction. When you read through the Bible and commands like that are given, within the command itself is the power to bring about the results that are being instructed. When God said, let there be light, it wasn't just instructing. Within that command was the power to bring about the results that were being commanded. When Jesus healed people and said, be clean, be healed, be free, within those, within those commands was the inherent power to bring about the result. So when he says, be zealous, we, don't get discouraged and say, well, I'd love to be zealous. I'm just not. If we'll allow his word to penetrate our heart within the command to be zealous is, is the power to stir up people's hearts to become zealous followers of Jesus. But he doesn't just say be zealous. He also says and, and repent. So being zealous, being passionate is important. We can't let ourselves be lukewarm. So let's talk about a few of the ways we can keep ourselves passionate about the Lord. The first one is just what Jesus said. You've got to repent. Get sin out of your life. Don't allow sin a place. Don't, don't allow compromise to cause your heart to grow cold towards the things of God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. He says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. He's talking about the end times the times I believe that we're living in. He said, during that period of time, people's love, that they loved Jesus, they were on fire, but something happened in their life where that, that fire, that passion, that zeal just started growing colder and colder and colder. What was it that would bring about that change in someone's life? Because iniquity, because where iniquity abounds, the love of many, many people is going to grow cold. If you want to stay passionate about the things of God, you've, you've got to clear out sin from your life. Amen. Don't make small compromises. When we get saved, a lot of us will get rid of the big, ugly, obvious sins, but we'll keep pride and gossip and little things that slip under the radar. That'll cause your heart to grow cold. And you might think, man, I'd love to be passionate. I'd love to be zealous. I don't know what's going on. It's because you've allowed different compromises instead of driving sin out of your life altogether. Like when the children of Israel went into the promised land and God said, go in and annihilate those people. Just wipe them out completely, drive them completely out of the land. And they started doing that. It got to be a real pain, you know? killing all these people and all that work. So they started letting certain people stick around. And sure enough, those people started to turn their hearts. And they, they became less zealous about the things of God. It's the same thing that plays out in so many Christians' lives. They start off good. They get to a point where they think, you know what? This, this is pretty good. They stop being passionate about the things of God because of compromise. Let me give you a second one that ties in. Don't compare yourself with other Christians. Don't compare yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. When the Bible says you're not wise, it's just being nice. It's, it's saying you are foolish. It's a foolish thing to compare yourself with other people. And we live in a period of time, we just read from Matthew 24, when the love of many will grow cold. 
So it's a foolish thing to look around at other believers and think that you're doing pretty well when you're looking around at a bunch of people that have allowed their love to grow cold. And think that you could think that you're a real fireball, but really you're just a mediocre Christian comparing yourselves to, to people who've let their love grow cold. D don't use other people as the standard. Use heaven as the standard. We're supposed to be heavenly minded, setting our sights on things that are above. How do they worship God in heaven? How, how do they adore God in heaven? That's, that's the standard, not the people that are standing next to me in a church service or the guy at work that rarely cracks open his Bible. Don't, don't use other people as a standard. Try to encourage them. We want to have those relationships, but we got to set our sights on Jesus. Amen? Don't compare yourself to other people. So first, you, you've got to repent. Get sin out of your lives. That's what Jesus said to do. Sin will cause your heart to grow cold. It says in Hebrews, sin hardens people's hearts. Here's what I think people don't understand. Sin doesn't harden God's heart towards you. Sin hardens your heart towards God. So when you sin, it's not that God's disgusted with you and doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. And people f come under condemnation and start hiding from him and just withdraw. We just, we just read in Revelation. He, he loves you. He's standing at the door. Even if you've grown cold, he's standing at the door knocking. He loves you. He's in pursuit of you. Sin hardens your heart towards God. It doesn't harden God's heart towards you. Repent. Don't compare yourselves. Number two, don't compare yourselves to other Christians. Number three, focus on the fact that Jesus is coming again soon. Jesus is coming soon. And if you keep yourself focused on that, it'll guard your heart from getting off track and getting cold and getting tied up in the things of this, in the things of this world. It'll help keep you passionate and zealous knowing that any moment the master could return. Jesus told parables along those lines that a master went away on a long trip and when his servant said, he's not coming back for a long time. That's when they started getting sloppy and not doing what they were supposed to be doing and mistreating one another. Their relationships got unhealthy. Everything started falling apart when they said, he's not coming back. But if they thought he's gonna show up at any minute, if he, he's gonna arrive any moment, it kept them in line. It's the same thing with you and I. That's why Jesus told the parable, to live with an expectation, Jesus could arrive any moment. Jesus could come back any moment. And some people will say, well, listen, I grew up in church. People have been saying that all my life. My parents said Jesus is coming soon. My grandparents said that. My great-great-grandparents said, I know he's coming during our lifetime. That, that's not foolishness that those people were operating under. That was wisdom that they were operating under. Because when you live with an expectation, maybe they were wrong that he was coming back in their lifetime, but I guarantee if they really believed that, they lived holy lives. And if he would have come back, they would have been ready. You're better off being wrong about that, expecting them to come back and being wrong, than being wrong the other way, saying he's not coming back for a a long time and he does show up and you're not ready. You've got to live with an expectation. Jesus is coming soon. Read the, read the last book of the Bible, the final chapter of Revelation. Three times, three times in that chapter alone, Jesus himself says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Three times he's emphasized, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. When you live with an expectation, Jesus, Jesus could arrive at any moment. The master could just split the sky open before we get through this service. Jesus can return. Causes passion, zeal, keeps you from getting lazy. If that's a stretch for you, here's one thing you can know, you're gonna die. You're gonna die. So living with an awareness, this life is temporary. Even if you don't make it to the return of Jesus, 
You, you don't know when you'll die. People die all the time. We don't like to think about it, but it's true. People die unexpectedly. People die suddenly. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 12. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He's talking about a person who was just focused on the here and now and didn't live with an awareness that this is all temporary. This is all, this isn't gonna last even if you live a hundred years. That, that's nothing in light of eternity. We've got to live with an awareness of eternity. And if we can keep that focus, Jesus is coming back any minute. I could die at any minute. It'll keep us holy. It'll keep us passionate. It'll keep us focused. It'll keep us fervent, never lacking in zeal. Here's another one. Know that God is with you. Know that he's with you. When I say with, I mean his presence, but I also mean that he's for you. Know that God is for you. He's not against you. He's on your side. He wants to see you succeed. God is for you, not against you. When you know that God is for you, he's with you. You're not, you're not trying to earn the approval of some angry God up in heaven. God loves you. He's on your side. He's with you and he's for you. He's in you. He's, he's not working against you. He wants what's best for you. That causes passion. When you feel like someone is against you, man, it, it, it's hard to enjoy relationship with them. When you feel like this person doesn't like me, they're annoyed with me, they're disappointed in me, it's hard to get excited about being around them. That's how some people are with God. Just feel like he's always disappointed with me. Feel like he just doesn't love me very much. It's hard to be passionate. Know that God is for you and he's with you. Listen to what it says in Haggai chapter one. My wife tried to name all four of our daughters Haggai. I wouldn't let her. Haggai chapter one, verse 12 says, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. I'm with you, says the Lord. Listen to this. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, and high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. What happened? God sent this message. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm on your side. I'm for you. 
I love you. My presence is with you. Know that I'm with you. And when they got that in their hearts, when it registered, God is with me. It says that it sparked the enthusiasm. It lit something on the inside of them. They got busy building God's house, advancing the kingdom of God. They started putting their hands the things that mattered because they were zealous. It sparks enthusiasm and zeal when you know my God is for me, not against me. He's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He's a friend that stays closer than a brother. His presence is within me. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. When you start meditating on on that, it stirs up a zeal and a passion. Nothing could ever separate me from the love of God. As dumb as I can be, as foolish as I've been, I don't have the ability to cause God to stop loving me. His love, his mercy is new every morning. His love is so deep and so high and so wide and so strong. It'll never, ever, ever give up on me. When I know that, man, how can you not be passionate about a God that's that passionate about you? But the enemy will try to get you to doubt that passion because it causes you to back off as well. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Be confident God loves you and he's with you. Let me give you one more, then we'll pray. One more point to keep yourself passionate. You've you've got to raise your sights. Here's what I mean by that. Raise your sights. Increase the way that you think of yourself when it comes to what you're here for. How special you are. How gifted you are. How anointed you are the impact God wants to make through your life, the role that you play in the kingdom of God, you're significant. You're significant. You are an important part of the body of Christ. Raise your sights, raise your expectation about what God has called you to, what your life is gonna look like, what God has for you in the days ahead. You're not just gonna flatline from here. God has great things for you. It stirs up passion to believe. God's called me to something significant. I read this story about Alexander the Great. I suppose it's true, it's supposed to be true. Said that when Alexander the Great was conquering different regions, when he was conquering Persia, there was a a Persian sheik that came to him and brought him a gift. And the gift was three dogs. And he said, these three dogs are the most courageous dogs in all the world. These kind of dogs, they are the bravest, my favorite kind of dog, They're, they're incredible. They're just a fierce, courageous animal. Awesome, thank you. So he has these three dogs. He wants to see what they're made of, see this passion, see this fierceness. So he has them bring in a rabbit. The rabbit runs around, the dogs are just laying there. The dogs don't budge, they don't don't care. It's a little frustrated, he says, okay, we'll bring in a fox. They bring in a fox and the fox runs around these dogs. They they perk up a little bit, look at the fox, but they still don't even get up. What's going on? These things are supposed to be courageous, brave animals. Bring in a deer, so they bring in a deer. Again, the the dogs don't really care. By this time, Alexander the Great is frustrated. He said, I don't even want that kind of animal around me. Kill the dogs, I'm done with them. It's a worthless animal, it's a worthless gift. Well, later on, that sheep came back to visit and said, well, what do you think? Did you like the dogs? He said, no, no, I didn't like the dogs. I killed the dogs, they're worthless. You told me they were courageous, they're brave, they they were worthless. And he explained, I brought in a, brought in a rabbit, I brought in a fox, I brought in a deer. Those, those dogs were lazy, they, just, they didn't care. And the sheik said, you're a brave leader, but you're also foolish. You brought things in that didn't deserve the courage and the bravery of these animals. You should have brought in a bear. 
You should have brought in a lion. If you would have done that, then you would have seen what those dogs were made of. You didn't bring anything worthy of the courage that those dogs had. You didn't bring anything worthy of them to fight for, and that's why they just laid there. It's the same thing with people in the body of Christ. You were made for more than just paying the rent and trying to pay off your car. You were made for more than just working for the weekend, buying groceries, going home, trying to get some rest, maybe take a nice vacation. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but you've got a calling that is so much more significant than just going through the motions of life. You, you are an ambassador for heaven living on this earth. You are anointed with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and you're here for a purpose. You play a role. And when you think of life, it's just going through another week, going through another month, just turn the pages on the calendar. Maybe if you're really fortunate, you'll get an early retirement. That's too low of a level to stir up the passion that God's put on the inside of you. You're here to make eternal impact, to snatch souls out of the fire of hell and transfer them into the kingdom of heaven. That's why you're here. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You carry God's presence. You're salt and light. When you start to really know your role here, that's, that, that's what stirs up the passion in the heart of a man of God or a woman of God. Just shuffling off to work every day. You need to have a job. That's not what I'm saying. But if that's where your sights are set, that's not your calling. That's not your calling. You're called for great things. When you get that in your heart, you get passionate. My life, Matt, you matter. You are gifted. God has you where you are. God has you when you are. It's not a surprise to him. He planned out your days ahead of time, planned out good works in advance for you to do. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. You are special. You matter. When you get passionate, you know what passion produces? Strength. Strength. Fight. Rare, unusual strength comes from passion. Again, it doesn't matter how strong you are. If you don't care, lots of strong people never accomplish anything because there's no passion. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take some time to pray. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Pastor Jonathan and the band are going to lead us. We're gonna take some time to worship God. As we're doing that, I wanna invite you to the altar. You can respond for a number of different things. Maybe you need to repent. That's the first thing Jesus told us to do. If you've allowed yourself to grow lukewarm, you need to, you need to be zealous and repent. It's both and. Be zealous. You need to repent. Maybe there's some things you need to get out of your, your life. God, I, you know I haven't been using my time wisely. It doesn't have to be some big, big, ugly sin, some obvious thing. Maybe you're proud. Maybe the way that you talk isn't uplifting. You, you need to get sin out of your life because when sin abounds, the love of many waxes cold. So maybe you need to repent Maybe you want to be prayed for, for fresh oil, for fresh oil, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, in Psalm 23, when it talks about our good shepherd, it says that he is a restorer, a restorer of souls. He, he restores souls. You know what that means? He wouldn't be a restorer for no good reason. If he says, I'm a restorer of souls, that means that there's times where souls need to be restored. And it's foolish to act like they don't. You, you need your, man, I just need to be restored. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Man, I, just need, I need fresh oil. I need a fresh infilling. I need fresh fire. I need my store, my, my soul restored this morning. We take time to wait on the Lord. The Bible says, wait on the Lord. What happens? Isaiah chapter 4. He renews our strength. Strength needs renewed. 
It gets, you can't just get strong. That's what happens to people. They get strong at one point in their life and they think they're set. They just start, start coasting. Strength needs to be renewed. It needs to be refreshed, like eating food or filling your gas tank. It's not good enough just to fill it once and you think you're set for life. It needs renewed. Your strength needs to be renewed. It's renewed by taking time to wait on the Lord, to seek Him. Maybe you need enthusiasm to be sparked fresh in your heart, to know God's presence, to know that he's with you. So we're gonna take time to wait on the Lord, to worship him. If you'd like to come and pray, you, you want prayed for, maybe it's none of those things. There's people who are here that need healing in their body. There's people who are here that need set free. There's people here that have other things going on in their lives. So we're gonna make available, if you'd like to be ministered to, you'd like prayer as, as the worship team begins to lead us. You can make your way forward. We'll take time to pray. We'll conclude in just a few minutes, but go ahead and just lift your hands. Just begin to thank God for his call on your life. Thank him for your presence. God's with you. He's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. Let him spark fresh enthusiasm. Renew your strength today. Let him restore your soul. Make a fresh commitment, a fresh commitment to pursue him. Early, God, will I pursue you. Where you know, man, I'm not passionate. I'm lukewarm. There's no use of time. There's no evidence of pursuit. You can't see passion in my life. Make those corrections before you leave here. If you'd like prayer as Pastor Jonathan begins to lead, you can make your way forward. Let's take time to wait on the Lord. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.